Before we begin this episode of the Naked Truth Relationships podcast, I just want to say that today, one of the guests on the show is divorced, and one of the guests identifies as a gay man. Now, I totally, totally appreciate that these are both big issues that create a lot of theological debate and raise pastoral implications. However, I want to stress from the beginning that we do not delve into these issues specifically. Other podcasts and other places have that intention. The aim of this episode, like many others in the series, is to explore the issue of singleness and how they have found this experience in the church. I apologise if you feel like we should have addressed the wider context of my guests today, but I wanted to stay focused. Nevertheless, I hope you really enjoy listening and find it helpful and interesting. So, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Naked Truth Relationships podcast, where Christians with different relationship statuses and histories chat about what it's really like in the church when it comes to dating, singleness, marriage and everything in between. We're glad you decided to join the conversation today and listen to this podcast. I'm here with Ian, say hello. Hello. And I'm here with Mike, say hello. Hi. And we're looking at issues surrounding singleness in particular. Both of my guests are ordained, have got a lot of experience working within the Church of England. They both have different personal stories and I'm sure will bring a lot to the conversation today. So, let's begin. As you are aware by now, the aim of these podcasts is just to have a chat and keep it very conversational. My name is Andre. I oversee a charity called Naked Truth Relationships. And our aim and vision is to give people the tools they need to build mutually enjoyable, mutually fulfilling, God-centered relationships, particularly in the area of dating and singleness. And so, Mike, before we jump into the conversation today, it's probably worth just telling people a bit about your background, what you're involved in now. And so if you could just give us a bit of context, that'd be amazing. Um, Yeah, so I'm in my mid-50s now. Uh, Grew up in Warwickshire, became um, a radio journalist. So I actually worked in commercial radio for a few years. Had quite a bad car accident in my late 20s, which left me a bit shaken and reassessing what I was doing with life. Offered myself for ordination training for the Church of England and did my training and ended up working in London. So uh, for most of my ministry, I was in London. And these days, my title is Head of Church Growth for um, Manchester Diocese. So for the Church of England in Manchester and the area around. So I kind of do strategy and advice on how churches can grow. Brilliant. And Ian, same question? Very different answer. So I I became a Christian when I was uh, 17. I'd grown up in the West Midlands, never heard anything about God before that, and found myself in short order being a law student and a lollipop man, (laughs) then an ordinant, a curate and a vicar. That natural progression there. (laughs) Everybody's done it. (laughs) And I started off as a curate in Stoke-on-Trent, and then moved gently north, and I've been uh, various team vicars in Manchester for the last, oh my goodness, 16 years now. And I find myself today in beautiful Withenshaw. <laughs> Brilliant. And so, Mike, um, just for our listeners, you want to share a bit about your relationship history and why, and your um, perspective, I guess, on today's episode? Um, yeah, so when I went off to university, I um, went as a Christian. Um, I'd sort of I wouldn't say I'd become a Christian in my mid-teens, but certainly my faith had got a lot deeper from a kind of more nominal Christian background. 
And um, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fantastic to find a wonderful girl at university and, and to get married? So I, you know, that's what I was hoping for. And um, I did meet somebody at university and we married quite soon after university. So in fact, she was 21 when we got married, uh, which sounds really quite shocking these days. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, you know, the average age at which people marry has been you know oh, yeah, it's up around up. 30 now yeah. yeah yeah so so to get married in your early 20s you know is is quite unusual i guess these days so i was i think 23 she was 21 and so we married we started having children fairly soon after that so my kids now um are 29 27 and 17 and uh so we were married 25 years and uh, uh, you know obviously don't want to go into all the great details of it um, but very sadly we separated and divorced about five years ago so for the last five years I found myself single um, and it's been a kind of interesting experience so for most of my adult life I've not only been a vicar I've been a married vicar yes and then in my early 50s suddenly to find myself single again raised all sorts of interesting questions like does it work the same in your 50s as when you were like 15 or 16? Yes. Is it completely different? Is it, are there overlaps? What are the issues? Who am I as a person now as opposed to who I was all those years ago? It's almost like, oh my goodness, how does this thing work? Because the whole issue of dating had not been an issue for the whole of my adult life. Because yes. I was married. <laughs> yeah, so it's a very different, um, <laughs> very different perspective you'll bring there. Um, and so, Ian, same question, just briefly give your background and where you're coming from. Yeah, so I got away to university in my sort of late, late teens. And before that, I'd have been caught up in studying for GCSEs. That's how young I am. <laughs> and A-levels. And never really dated, never really been into looking for relationships. And of course, there I was away at college, suddenly fell in love, surprised myself being in love with another man. From there on, we were together at an open evangelical college and that more or less put the dampers on it from the start trying to conduct a relationship in an environment where we'd not yet had any of the kind of things about issues in human sexuality and didn't know where we stood didn't know who we could trust didn't know what our bishops would say as we were training and consequently stifling environment and and the one and only time I've been involved in a relationship utterly doomed to complete failure from the start. Uh, it's a measure of measure of something that we're very, very good friends now. And from there, becoming a curate and and then a vicar and working in broadly evangelical churches, hopefully sensibly evangelical churches, inclusive evangelical churches, where my heartland is, there's just never really then presented the chance to to seek out anything more. I find that I've got this magnificent, privileged job that more than takes up all the time you've got in a week. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult game. And again, finding myself 46 now, thinking, my goodness, the world has passed me by a little bit. I'm not quite sure how you play this game. Great. So we're going to dive into um, the questions. As you'll know by now, these podcasts kind of evolve around three main questions. So we'll start with the first one. As always, tangents are welcome. Um, what is your experience of singleness, being single, um, in the Christian context? What springs to mind as good examples, tough bits that have been a, maybe a bit of a struggle, or however you interpret that question? What has your experience been in the Christian context of singleness? 
Um, perhaps I can say a few things there. I've, do you know, I think one of the hardest aspects of finding myself newly single in my mid-50s was how hard I was on myself. I think I was much harder on myself than other people were on me. Uh, I mean, because I think sometimes people say, when you were divorced as a, as a vicar, wasn't that a difficult experience? And, you know, obviously it was a very difficult experience. But it wasn't really the attitudes of other people in the church that, that made that particularly difficult. I think for me as somebody who'd had very high ideals of, of relationships and commitment and all the rest of it and a very high vision of, of what marriage involves or can involve, I think then uh, reaching, you know, the age of about 50 and thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I, you know I'm the one whose marriage has, has fallen apart and, um, and, and sort of that beating yourself up and, and I think theologically it, it's difficult because you want to hold on to ideals in the Christian life. And, you know, I've always preached the importance of faithfulness and commitment mm. and, and all the good stuff that, you know, we believe about relationships yes. from yeah. a Christian perspective. Mm. And, you know, I, I support that with, with biblical verses and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and I think it's right to have high ideals. But there's also the... the what happens in yourself and within a community if you don't match up to those ideals, uh, even your own ideals that, you know, that you've been preaching, whatever. And so I think, for me, there was that tremendous sense of failure, actually. It was like, oh, no, do I even dare to carry on in any sort of ministry because I'm the one who's been marrying other people, I'm the one, I'm the one who's been doing this, that and the other in ministry, marriage counselling, whatever. Mm my own marriage has ended um, and and it took me quite a while to realise that, that God is merciful and I'm human <laughs> yes. and, and it doesn't veto you from ministry if an area of your life you know doesn't turn out the way you hoped it would or you know the way you think it ought to um, so, so I think part of the journey for me was not only knowing God's wholeness and healing in my life but it was being able to forgive myself and say no it's okay God opens other doors and around the time my marriage ended I stepped out of parish ministry uh, I was a bit sort of exhausted and a bit burnt out after 20 years of ministry anyway so it gave me an opportunity to do something a bit different so I taught uh, church workers in a college and actually that was a really good supportive environment and quite a lot of the students had been through broken relationships and quite, some of them quite abusive backgrounds as well. So in a funny sort of way, the fact that I'd had a broken relationship sort of made me a bit more relatable um, to the people there. So I do believe that God can use even the brokenness and the difficult times we go through. Uh, and for me, that came as a big relief after spending quite a while feeling like a failure because I'd messed up. Yeah, no, I think that's very interesting because I do think in all churches we can have these idea of a perfect Christian or perfect ideals and if we fall short then God's <laughs> going to kick us out of the club, which we can all fall into and I think marriage is, is one of those uh, areas and so thank you for being very honest. And Ian, I guess obviously you're coming at it from a very different perspective, but yeah. I guess... In some ways, you know, this isn't a podcast about sexuality, it's more about um, struggling with singleness. Um, 
coming at coming at this idea from yeah that the ideals that I think most people assume vicars will be married <laughs> and yes. they'll have kids and they will do that whole thing so as someone who's as you said 46 and single I mean how is that how's your experience of that being how people approach you in that it's changed over time and I remember in my 20s I must have been uh, eligible <laughs> there were all, all sorts of people in my curacy in early parishes uh, generally of the female type who were not quite throwing themselves at me but who were making eyes across the room <laughs> can you catch can you catch a young curate can you catch a young vicar <laughs> and to walk that line of gently gently rebutting people <laughs> without necessarily acknowledging the elephant in the room which is that they clearly are carrying a massive torch for you <laughs> yes while ministering to them mm. and again feeling that you you've undertaken this role within the church where you feel you're looking after everybody else you feel that you're you're there primarily to be a pastor and a carer to all sorts of people that does make it a very very difficult road yes. to walk yeah and within that finding the notion that look in the new testament talk about looking after people's consciences jesus is quite quite clear don't make other people's faith stumble in case they because you might then might as well have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the ocean mm-hmm. all the kind of stuff paul says about meat sacrifice to idols and finding the way of keeping other people's consciences happy and actually what that involves me doing has been sort of denying myself for a long long time right okay uh, and again it's that thing of taking on other people's unrealistic ideas about what clergy is supposed to be and trying to live that out with the added dimension there of being gay and the kind of the secrecy or the the slight duplicity that that sometimes involves yeah so again i've been harder on myself than anybody else would be i have uh, lots and lots of good married vicar ordained clergy friends who just say we've no idea how you do this who say they could not do it without their spouses and it's quite true there are moments when just things happen in in the clergy life which completely rock you and you really do notice that you haven't got somebody right by your side i've got magnificent lay people i've got fantastic staff and friends particularly around this parish but something happens and you are suddenly rocked and there's nobody to turn to immediately who's also there at the end of the day it's very interesting you both say you're you're harder on yourself than maybe what other people are but still acknowledge the struggles and challenges which maybe aren't in focus for most people in church who are married or um, have found someone. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when when people think about issues of, of the church and relationships and sexuality and so on, what people tend to home in on immediately is, oh, you know, is the church judgmental or whatever? And, you know, some churches are, some aren't. Some individuals are, some aren't. But I think it's very interesting that Ian's found something similar to me, that actually we can be really hard on ourselves and we can sort of internalise a lot of issues, a lot of ideals, a lot of values, and then start beating ourselves up if, if we know we've kind of not reached those. Or you know, and, and I suppose there's always the temptation to compare yourself to an ideal that you're holding out in your sermons or your preaching or yeah. your writing or whatever yeah. um, in, in all sorts of areas of life. And I guess that goes for relationships as well. It's a very curious thing. So I, I got burgled just last week and then you lose a little bit of sleep over that. It's all the kind of feelings of violation and, and all that. But I woke up and what actually was worrying me when I woke up and couldn't sleep was that I would get more and more anxious and actually be of no earthly use to my parishioners. 
So what I was worried about in the wake of kind of a very kind of small disaster within this house was, oh no, what if I let my kirat down? What if I let my team down? What if I let my parishioners down by letting this stress me? Which is, when you look at it in the light of day and draw a flowchart of it, completely irrational. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. and so it's obviously spoken about your own personal um, wrestling with this and struggles and um, reasoning. Do you find that single people, especially you, Ian, who are still leading a church, do you find single people would struggle in the same way? They feel like because they're single, particularly if they're older, I guess, that they haven't reached an ideal that maybe Christian community expects? I think it's maybe dissipating and disappearing a little bit. I remember when I was, first of all, when I was at theological college, uh, whether it was that people saw ordination and beyond that, very little chance of marriage. And so uh, we're looking to, uh, very crude terms, snap up, <laughs> snap up other ordinances. <laughs> and training alongside uh, undergraduates as well, they were quite keen to snap up an ordinance themselves. And I don't know whether it's me aging through the last 20 years or whether it's society and particularly the church changing. I don't know whether it's that the church itself is aging and therefore more of the people in our church are for different reasons of, of divorce and being widowed and bereaved, themselves single. But there seems to be less stigma attached to it. Or it could be that I've simply moved job-wise in a direction that takes me away from the kind of the beating heart of thou shalt be married. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's true. I think the church has been changing on that. Uh, the people that I have this conversation with most often tend to be middle-aged women, actually. Um, and, I, I mean, in a way, the elephant in the room in this conversation is, you know, the, the big issue that's unavoidable is the disparity of women and men yes. in the church. Massive, yeah. Um, and that, I guess, is, you probably know this better than any of us, but I guess at all different ages, that's generally true. Yeah, definitely. And especially when you look at um, unmarried men and unmarried women, the gap right. gets bigger. Yes. So, yeah, yes. no, it's a big problem. And so, you know, I'll sometimes have conversations with women of my sort of age who will say, um, you know, it's, it's so unfair. You've got a church that holds out the ideal of, you know, getting married, having children and so on. Uh, but I've not been able to meet the right person, whatever, and or meet somebody who shares my faith. Uh, and so, you know, much higher proportion of single women in the churches. And it's kind of interesting that you happen to have two guys who are having this, this conversation about singleness with you. Um, I mean, certainly a lot of the people who I hear finding this a frustrating and difficult issue are, are women, mainly because of the imbalance. I mean, it doesn't mean that if you're a guy and you want to find someone to marry, it's a bit easier or whatever, but, you know, yeah. Yeah. Has that been your experience as well, Ian? I think it has. I'm, I'm wondering now how much is, is affected by the fact that I preach at my churches and therefore when there, are, when there are moments when we can affirm single people more, we do. And that because I'm not married, I'm not subconsciously falling into a, a trap of setting that out as the norm. Mm. I'm actually in my, in my churches. I'm setting out a kind of different possibility from the pulpit yes. and, and deliberately making them inclusive in all sorts of ways. So that, question back at you, Mike, then, when you were a, a married vicar, were you ever aware of kind of making a special jumps of thought and jumps of speech in sermons to include other people? Yeah, I, I did always try and do that. Um, yeah. My first parish was in quite a difficult inner city area in Finsbury Park in, in, in a city, London. 
And it was a red light district when I was there. So there were lots of people in all sorts of weird and wonderful combinations of relationships. Lots of single people on their first jobs in London. Uh, Lots of kind of waifs and strays who washed up and ended up worshipping with us. So I really tried to be as, as welcoming and inclusive as possible. And so I think because we had so few standard kind of nuclear families in the congregation it never became an option really to speak as if that was the norm and then that shaped my expectations even then when I was in more middle-class suburbia after that I still I think it sensitized me to that well it sensitized me to that the diversity of people and it sensitized me to issues of race and ethnicity as well so I you know I was always trying to be as welcoming and inclusive as possible. So kind of that's a good segue into the second main question I wanted to ask. Um, but how has the Christian community then helped or hindered in your, I mean, your personal experience of singleness, but also the people you've been working with? What have you seen done well? What have you seen that has maybe hindered? And obviously you've talked about setting a different vision from the pulpit, which is really important and talking about it from the front. Is there any other things that spring to mind around that question? I think because there are a lot of people who are themselves single and possibly lonely within our congregations, they've got much more empathy with when a newcomer, and because they're always newcomers to begin with, come along. And so whether this is the case for everybody, but as the clergy, I've been welcomed into people's homes for cups of tea. And you will always find there is there is a family or a person who's willing to welcome you and make you that bit more welcome because they see you as single. Yes. <laughs> So there's that glorious dynamic that goes on. <laughs> Which is good. And, yeah, I mean, something I always try and tell people um, and always try and encourage is to invite people around from different relationship statuses. So I am married, but me and my wife make a conscious effort to invite people who are single as well as people who are dating or married just because church should be a place where everyone's included. So it's great to yeah. hear someone say, yeah, that has happened and that is definitely been something that's helped how much of that is because i'm the, i'm the vicar i do not know <laughs> if i were single lay person arriving in a, in this congregation yeah i hope that people would mm. would have the same same yeah. response yeah i mean it's interesting because i remember speaking to some people who would say unfortunately they may have had a slightly different experience because it can sometimes be in the church and i don't think this is only in the church but couples end up hanging out with couples and actually single people unintentionally often get left because they're not in a couple and you know you need to play a board game with four or six people for some reason (laughs) and so yeah so it's good to hear that there are good examples of that as well and I think you know this is I think this is one of the reasons why uh, sometimes people say what kind of church do you like or not like and I think the thing that I feel most strong strongly about on this is that churches that are really legalistic are a complete turn-off for me. Ones that lay down the law and there's a list of rules and thou shalt and thou shalt not. And sometimes I think, you know, the guys you hear shouting in Market Street are on about sin and list of rules and thou shalt and thou shalt not. And for me, that's... You know, I, I found that so... Um, oh, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I, it yeah, just that, felt so oppressive and yeah. so negative... And anti-gospel I mean, anti-gospel <laughs> and because as we've both said we we had already beaten ourselves up enough about that and what I needed was Christian friends to remind me of God's grace and that God holds on to you even if life is not going the way you planned 
Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will just be relieved to know that leaders can struggle with some of this stuff and, you know, wrestle with some of this stuff. Is there anything, so, I mean, you obviously talked about the legalistic aspect, um, which can be very unhelpful. Is there anything, particularly thinking about issues around singleness, that you think has actually been quite unhelpful in churches, either you've experienced or seen? I think one of the difficult things has been coming from kind of my theology. I like to be more involved in charismatic things sometimes, uh, Christian festivals. And sometimes you find the leadership there being forever exercised by sort of a man and his wife. Never a woman and her husband, but always a man <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. and his wife. <laughs> That's one of my biggest pet hates. It's always, um, yeah, from the husband's perspective, it's never he's... Um, it's always I'm his wife not he's my husband oh, yes. massive pet hate of mine anyway sorry <laughs> sorry no I think that was about it that's <laughs> frustrating sometimes yeah and especially I guess as a single person if you're sitting there in a conference or in a church and it's always me and my wife or me and you know and it's great to see couples leading churches together and God having that calling, not against that in any way. But if your experience of Christian ministry is always as a couple, then it can be quite hard to see. Yeah, I think I've got the same mixed feelings, really. That, you know, in many ways, it's great to see uh, mixed leaderships. It's, it, you know, I think it's great to see men and women up at the front. It's good to see relationships, uh, you know, marriages played out in the public arena and banter and all that sort of stuff. I think that's, you know, good and healthy. But I think, um, especially for, for newer Christians and people who are coming into the faith new, you can absorb a certain kind of culture as well. And sometimes the culture that people absorb is that being married and having two point whatever it is, kids, is, is right for Christians. That's the normal sort of thing. And, you know, Christians come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and, you know, families do as well. And I think um, I think it can be subtly unhelpful <laughs> if we only have one model of leadership and one model of leadership yeah. relationships. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, one thing I always say to people who are engaging with this stuff, especially church leadership, is how many leaders are single? How many single women have you got on the team? How many single men have you got on the team? Because just seeing that actually speaks volumes, um, which um, I'm sure we can all agree with. So circling to kind of the last question, um, what is the main thing you would think needs changing or tweaking? Um, so when it comes to this issue of singleness, what is the main thing or main things you think need changing or tweaking? Ooh, I, I hope what I'm going to say is not an issue anymore. I know it used to be an issue for me, but, but you can maybe tell me because you, you deal with all this relationship <laughs> stuff these days. Um, I remember in the youth club, uh, when I was in my mid-teens, there was always a talk on relationships. And the focus of it was nearly always on, uh, oh, you know, how far can you go before you are married? You know, this was the kind of big focus of everything. And so, and so it framed it all in terms of what's allowed, what's not allowed, you know, what's, what's all right for Christians, what's not all right for Christians. And so those are the kind of categories you were dealing with. And I think as, as time's gone by, I've thought that was not a helpful way of doing it. I think the questions about what is going to be helpful for us growing as people, as Christians... Uh, what is a mature response that, that, you know, respects the way God made us, or, you know, the, the nature of relationships, what's an appropriate level of 
intimacy, for the stage that your relationship is at. So something about it's okay to be grown up and to have those conversations and to wrestle with issues of scripture rather than just looking for a simple well, you can do this, but you can't do that. Um, and I think something about being whole, mature people in our relationships as we are in other areas of life. And I think things have been changing, but for me, that's that's a big one. Yeah, and you're right. I think, in my experience, things are changing. But, yeah, those questions don't actually tell you, you know, how to date or how do you start to build a healthy marriage and or healthy engagement and healthy dating relationship or move from singleness into dating. So I think you are right. The conversation needs to be broadened, which is, you know, obviously why I run Naked Truth Relationships. I think those questions are, are really, really important. And it sounds like your experience and what you've gone to, through and what you've shared has really hammered that home, that it needs to be more about what you can and can't do, but this level of grace and this level of understanding people in situations they may not have wanted to find themselves in. And so having that open and honest conversations from the leaders all the way down to um, grassroots is really important. Yeah. And some of that is about having safe space, first of all, within our worshipping communities and outside of worshipping communities into kind of home groups and all sorts of things like that, where where the tone isn't conforming to what people want us to be, but the space where you can be transformed into something, and it might be something completely new. We could invent whole new models of singleness and whole new models of relationship and friendship and new monastic stuff within the churches. If only we step back, as you rightly said, from the rights, from, pardon me, from the thou shalt and thou shalt not, and to create space in which all sorts of things are possible and where it's possible to try things and to fail and it not to be the end of the world. Yeah, and I think really important. And people, I mean, they want to talk about this stuff and they want God to be involved. And if they do hear that thou shalt not, it kind of, they look for answers elsewhere, which isn't isn't what we want. So we're going to bring our chat for today to an end. I think this has been really exciting just to hear leaders who are maybe outside of the norms and ideals which the church sometimes held up too much as we've been talking about and just talk about this in a new way in a fresh way in an honest way and I'm sure this has helped many of us who have listened to this today Um, so I'm going to end by saying uh, thank you Ian and Mike Um, but before I do is there anything that you want to make just as a final point as we wrap this up I think after 20 years of being single I think it gets a little bit tougher as you get a little bit older But I think I want to highlight that there is so much positive and so much constructive stuff that's possible by being single. And that although there's an occasion where I feel wistful and melancholy and wish I wasn't, nevertheless, 95, 98% of my life, I don't notice or imagine that I am particularly unhappy. So there's, there's so much to be done, so many possibilities. So I don't know what God wants for me next, but it's not a bad life. I think that is so powerful. In a, in a culture that says sex is everything, being in a relationship is everything, it's so powerful to say, I'm single, I'm with God, and it's not second best. It is, it is good. I think that is so powerful. Thank you for that, Ian. Um, Mike, anything you want to end on? I think something quite similar in a way. Um, uh, you know, spent 25 years married, uh, been five years single now, and at the time it felt like the end of the world. But actually, having my own space and um, having the freedom to, to do things in different ways, you know, to make my own decisions without, you know, having to discuss it with somebody, there have actually been lots of positives in that as well. And I think, 
you know, what I'd want to say from that is um, often we carry within us certain images of the way life is going to be and relationships are going to be. And for a lot of us, it might be a Hollywood model or a model from wherever, you know, or from church leads or something that says, you know, it's going to be getting married full stop. That's, that's the ideal. And I think, well, maybe not, you know, um, let this be a conversation with God. Let it be something that you're open to possibilities in. Um, but, you know, ask God to, to guide and show you the way forward. Thank you very much. It's been a really good chat. Um, Thank you for tuning in as well and listening to this podcast. For more, please go to www.ntrelationships.com where there are more blogs and more podcasts to listen to or go to wherever it is you download your podcast for the next episode. Until then, take care.